The Bible reading today is from Psalm 63. This is a Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of God. Thanks, Lee Chief. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, it's great uh, to see you this morning. Um, my name's Tim. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. I normally go to the 6 p.m. service, so I'm not normally here in the morning, but uh, it's a great privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Um, how about uh, we pray as we start? Heavenly Father, you know uh, where we're at uh, this morning. You know if we're in a hard place or perhaps going well, and we do pray that you would meet us wherever we're at. We pray that you would speak to us uh, through your word this morning and that you would indeed refresh us through your word and by your spirit uh, as we look at Psalm 63 this morning. Amen. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, keep it open to Psalm 63. Uh, read along as, as I speak. But I want to start by asking, uh, have you ever been alone in the wilderness? Uh, perhaps you've seen the hit TV show Alone, which pits survival enthusiasts against nature in a test of survival of the fittest. The goal being to be the last of 10 contestants to last in the wilderness with no support. There's something really captivating, isn't there, about watching people push to the absolute limits of their abilities, of their mental toughness, of their tolerance in a quest for survival. Or perhaps it's just that you've gone for a walk, camped out in the desert with no one around, no support available. The wilderness, particularly the desert, are pretty amazing places. And I think they actually have an incredible impact on the way in which we look at the world. Picture with me the desert, that scorching sun during the day that makes you seek out any available shade. You know, the freezing cold at night that makes you huddle round the fire to stay warm. That absence of water that makes you make the most of the little that you may have. The vast expanse of sky that seems to go on forever. Seems even greater as night falls and those billions of stars shine down on you. And time, that time to sit and reflect on life, reflect on God and all of creation. See, all of these things in the wilderness help us see the world in a different way. All the normal comforts and protections, the normal safety of life is stripped away 
and you're at the mercy of the environment. There's this increased acute awareness of our own frailty. One just feels really small in this environment. The universe, God, seems huge when gazing out at that sky. And being alone in the wilderness gives you time, gives you space to think, to reflect on life, to reflect on God, to reflect on the relationships that we have. Gives us an increased longing for the safety, the comfort, the protection of normal life. And all of these things together, I think, give us an increased awareness of our dependence on God for our survival and for our sustenance. And this is the environment that David finds himself in as we read Psalm 63. The psalm was probably written during the time that Absalom had seized the throne from David and David is forced to flee into the wilderness. David had known the life, the good life of the king. He'd been the king of Jerusalem and now his life had been stripped back to nothing. And as we read through Psalm 63, we will see that David's physical surrounds actually reflect his spiritual position. See, just as physically he's isolated, he's thirsty, he's longing for water and shelter, so spiritually too he's isolated. He's away from the tabernacle, from the presence of God. He's longing to be with God and he looks forward to a time when his position and all that will be restored. Just hear the longing in his voice, the desire at the start of the psalm. He says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So the big question I want to look at as we read through Psalm 63 today is, what can sustain our faith in the wilderness? But before we do this, before we jump into Psalm 63, I just want to ask you, do you feel like you're in the wilderness at the moment? Is that wilderness that you may feel like you're in due to opposition? Do you feel isolated at work because of your faith? Do you feel that your extended family have shunned you, made relationships difficult because of your priorities with God and with your Christian community? Is the wilderness that you're in perhaps due to suffering? Are you in the middle of an illness that's preventing you do all, doing all those activities that you so strongly desire to do? Or perhaps do you feel that your mental health is just stopping you engaging with God, engaging with your community? Are the stresses of life overwhelming you so that you feel that you have no time for God, for community? Or perhaps... Is the wilderness just a sense of barrenness in your life? That there's no time, no energy to renew your spiritual fuel tank. I think we can be so overwhelmed by the day-to-day stresses of life that we don't devote time to God. And as a result, we're actually left hungry. We're left thirsty for him. And just as the physical wilderness gives us a new perspective, gives us a different perspective, so too I think these spiritual wildernesses give us a new perspective on God and life. So the first thing I think we see in, from Psalm 63 is that David is sustained in the wilderness by being satisfied in God. 
David reflects at the psalm of the start of Psalm 63 on the reality of God's presence. That is, who God is in his very nature. The core of God being, God's being. And this knowledge actually sustains David. Let me read to you from verse 3. It says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. David here is reflecting on his experience when the presence of God filled the tabernacle. When the God of the universe was dwelling with his people, Israel, he'd made his home among them. And when thinking about this experience, David reflects on the very nature of God. He's astounded, astounded by God's power and his glory in verse 2. He's astounded by his love in verse 3, by the way that he helps his people in verse 7, and by his protection in verse 8. This image is so powerful for David. I think it's so powerful for us as well because it's a return to the way we are designed to live as humans. It's a return, it's like a return to the Garden of Eden where God was dwelling with Adam and Eve in perfect harmony. See, as humans, we were designed, we were made to dwell with our creator, to be in relationship with him, to be worshipping him, to be under his care and protection. And this is the thing that will ultimately satisfy in life, to be with our God. This is the ultimate state of being. David goes on and says that David goes on and says that God's love is better than life itself. Why can he say this? What is it about God's love that is better than everything else? Well, we read elsewhere in the in the Bible, in uh, the Apostle John, in his first letter, writes that God is love. That's God doesn't just demonstrate love for people, but a key aspect of God's character is love. It's at the very heart of who God is. You might think of it this way, that God is a loving relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that existed before the creation of the world. There was this loving relationship between the Trinity. So when David is reflecting on his experience of God in the tabernacle, reflecting on encountering the presence of God, I think he's overwhelmed by the love of God, overwhelmed by God that loves him deeply and only wants the best for him. And he goes on to describe his satisfaction in God like that of a great feast. You can see the contrast between his current situation in the wilderness with nothing. Being satisfied by God is a similar satisfaction to that of a great party, great food, great company, great music. Now, there isn't much better in life than enjoying a great meal with family and friends. Now, I love cooking, uh, probably because I love eating, uh, but there's nothing that brings me more joy in life than, um, there isn't much that brings me more joy in life than to prepare a great meal, to sit down with my family and friends and to slowly work through those number of dishes, dessert, until you're just fully satisfied, both with the food but also the conversations, the friendships that these times allow. You know that feeling after Christmas lunch where you've exchanged gifts, you've had a great meal together, and you just lay down on the couch replete, you know, feeling really good, um, satisfied. 
This is the way that David feels about God's presence in his life. David's relationship with God will sustain him. It will comfort him. It will protect him. It will bring him joy, no matter what the external threats he's facing, no matter how isolated he feels in the presence. Friends, when we feel like we're in the wilderness, we can be confident that our God, that seeking our satisfaction in God, will sustain us through these difficult times. And if we think a little bit more about applying this to our own current situation, I think when we feel like we're in the wilderness, our, our first reaction, my first reaction, is actually to pray for deliverance from this situation, which, although understandable and okay, David regularly through the Psalms prays for deliverance. I think at times we forget that God has put us in these situations for a reason. If I go back into my initial reflections on what it's like being in the wilderness, that it gives us a dependence on God, that it gives us the time, gives us the clarity at times to see God for who he really is, then maybe, though hard as it is, it's actually really helpful to try and think of these times as an opportunity for growth in our relationship with God. Whenever Jesus was facing big decisions, trials in his life, he would often withdraw into the wilderness, into quiet places where it was just him and his heavenly father and he would pray. It's what sustained him through so much of his ministry. So when faced with these situations where we feel like we're in the wilderness, perhaps the first question we can ask is, what is God teaching me through this experience? And secondly, how can my relationship with him grow through this? So we've seen firstly that we can be sustained through feelings of being in the wilderness through um, finding our satisfaction in God. The second thing that sustains David in the wilderness is that he worships and praises God. David's worship is a response to who God is. But this worship actually fuels his desire for God and helps sustain his relationship with him. As I read through the, these next verses, just note David's actions in them, both physical and mental. Let me read to you from verse 3. David says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of night. Because you are my help, I, will, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Uh, John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, notes that worship should provide two things. Firstly, it should provide a way for our mind to apprehend, that is, to understand the truth of God's reality. That is the way God sees this. We understand, we think about the way God sees things. It involves thinking. But secondly, it's a way for our heart to respond to the beauty of that truth. Therefore, it involves our emotions. Worship involves responding to God with every part of who we are. It's how we respond to God with our bodies, with our thinking, 
with our actions, with our emotions, with everything that we have. Just have a look in these verses how David's response does these things. His body is involved in his worship. David's lips glorify God. He lifts up his hands to praise God. His mouth praises with words and David sings to God with his voice. But notice also that David's mind is involved in his worship. David's response in worship is never detached from his thoughts. David's worship is grounded in who God is and what he has done for him. A key aspect of David's worship is engaging his mind in this. David says on his bed, I will remember you. And as the night drags on, he says, I think of you. And notice at the end of this section, David exclaims, I cling to you. What a great phrase, isn't it? I cling to you. It's a great physical metaphor of what David is actually doing with his mind. I get this picture here of like a, a little baby koala on the back of its mother, clinging on as the mother scales the tree. I think this is the intensity which David is holding on to God through these hardships. And when reflecting on the way that David's worship sustains him in the wilderness, I want to ask us, what role does worship play in our life? Is it something that we see confined to that one hour on a Sunday? Or is it a 24-7 activity for us? Is worship something that we keep in that church box? You know, we do it on a Sunday morning. Or actually, is it something that's at the core of our lives? The aim to glorify God in everything we do every day of the week. Are we using our hands to glorify God in our work? Are we glorifying God with the words that we speak during the week? Are we remembering God's goodness to us as we read his word? Are we thinking about God's protection of us as we lie down to sleep? See, the amazing thing about worship is the more and more we engage in worship with God, actually the more and more satisfied we become. And the result of this is actually that we desire God more and more. We get a taste of what is good and we want more of it. And that's actually a really good thing because desiring God, being satisfied in him, we are actually fulfilling God's purpose for our life. We are living the life that God designed us to live. I think it's a little bit like a great marriage. So the more effort I put into desiring my wife, improving our relationship, the better that relationship will become, the more satisfying it is, but also the, the more it increases my desire for her. This is the same with our relationship with God. The more effort we put into desiring God, the more we will be satisfied with him, and in turn, the more we will want to engage with him. Our desire for God will continue to grow. And this is because this is the way God has designed us. He's made us to be creatures of worship. Creatures that desire and that the only way that our desires will be fully met is if we're seeking the ultimate object of those desires. That is God himself. 
See, God is the ultimate good. He is the ultimate beautiful. He is the ultimate loving being in the universe. And that is why seeking him is the only way that our desires can be fully met. So we've seen so far through Psalm 63 that we can be sustained in feelings like being in the wilderness, firstly by being satisfied in God, and secondly by engaging in worship and praise of him. And the third thing we see at the end of the psalm is that sustains David is David remembers God's promises to him. Uh, let me read to you from verse 9 of, uh, of Psalm 63. David says, Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of the liars will be silenced. David knows that as God's king, as the Lord's anointed, that all who oppose him will be destroyed. It says that in verses 9 and 10. He knows that God is a God of justice. He's not going to let evil go unpunished. He knows that God loves good. God hates evil. And he knows that those opposed him and God will be called to account. But notice, he's not only confident in God's judgment for those who have wronged him, he's also confident in the reward offered to those who align themselves with God, who swear by God. Have a look at verse 11. It says, But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. God knows that they, David knows they will glory in him. He means that they will share in the glory that God has. I just want to think briefly about to what extent are these promises true for us as Christians? See, there's this wonderful picture in uh, for Christians in the book of Revelation chapter 7, just a couple of chapters after that section which Mark talked to us at the start of the service this morning about. In John's vision of heaven, he gets this picture of the saints who have gone through the great tribulation. That is, Christians who have lived through suffering and persecution. And this is what he sees. Let me read to you from Revelation 7, verse 15. He says, Therefore they, he's talking about Christians, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. What a great picture this is, isn't it? See, just as David pictures himself as sheltering under the wings of God in Psalm 63, so Christians here are protected by the wings of God. There'll never be thirst or hunger as they drink from the streams of eternal life. The sun won't beat down them anymore. There won't be that suffering. And notice who is at the centre of this picture. It's the lamb. The lamb who we've met in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation. Jesus, the lamb who died for the sins of the world. Jesus, this lamb, leads Christians to living water. That is, the water that gives eternal life, enables life with forever with God. A life where there is no sadness, no tears, 
no suffering. Friends, what a wonderful promise this is. This is the future we will inherit. I want to ask us, what actions are we taking to remember these promises every day, to remind ourselves of this future? Have you ever been homesick? You know, that feeling where you crave the comfort and the relationships of home. Uh, just after school when I was a young man, I um, joined the army. I spent a few years in the army. Um, and we would often go out on exercises for several weeks at a time. And I often felt like this. It's probably a combination of not seeing family and friends for periods of times, from sleeping on hard ground, from not showering for days, maybe weeks at a time, um, and from eating ration packs, which consisted of things like tinned ham, tinned cheese, freeze-dried rice, pretty unappealing stuff. Um, one of the things that helped sustain me through this time was picturing home, developing a mental picture in my home of the things I would enjoy when I got there. That long, hot shower to scrub the dirt away. That nice, juicy steak for dinner and that warm, comfortable bed to sleep the night through. And friends, as great as those comforts are, our eternal home is so much greater. It's so much more appealing, so much better promise than the comforts of this life. So as we reflect, as we remember God's promises, as we reflect on our eternal future with him, the great feast that awaits us, God will sustain us through the wilderness, through difficult times. Let us remind each other constantly of these truths. Let us reflect on our eternity and live our lives in light of this. Friends, Psalm 63 has given us a roadmap to navigating through the wilderness. It has shown us that we can be sustained by seeking our satisfaction in God by engaging in worship and praising God, and by remembering God's promises to us. Why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, and we thank you that uh, we can find our ultimate satisfaction in you. We do pray that you indeed would be the desire of our hearts and that we would seek you above all else. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that he is our shepherd, that he leads us to streams of living water. And we pray that you would continue to renew us uh, as we drink of this living water. We pray that we would find our strength in you alone and that you, we would continue to remember your great promises to us. Amen.